Sinatra's Riddle, the Monday Morning Memo for July 7th, 2014. 1. Bring positive and negative into close proximity. 2. Resist the temptation to clad them in insulation. 3. Witness the flow of electricity as it leaps between the two. Speaking in 1980 of his songwriting experience with Paul McCartney, John Lennon said, He provided a lightness, an optimism, while I would always go for the sadness, the discords, the bluesy notes. David Sheff, from his book, All We Are Saying. The work John initiated tended to be sour and weary, whereas Paul's tended to be bright and naive. The magic came from interaction. Consider the home demo for Help, an emotionally raw, aggressively confessional song John wrote while in the throes of the sort of depression that he said made him want to jump out the window, you know. The original had a slow, plain piano tune and feels like the moan of the blues. When Paul heard it, he suggested a counter-melody, a light-hearted harmony, to be sung behind the principal lyric, and this fundamentally changed its nature. Joshua Wolf Schenk from The Atlantic, July-August 2014, The Power of Two, page 80. We're talking about the magic of duality. We're describing the foundations of transformative thought. When he began to write songs, Paul wasn't thinking about rock and roll. He wanted to write for Sinatra. Joshua Wolfshank from The Atlantic, July-August 2014, The Power of Two, page 80. Lennon's McCartney was Sinatra's riddle. I bought Why Sinatra Matters, mostly because I was curious why a best-selling novelist would write a biography. Sure, Sinatra was a great singer, but since when does a great singer really matter? And why Sinatra instead of some other singer, actor, writer, or photographer? What I found was that Hamill's book isn't so much about a person, but about a time. Frank Sinatra was the voice of the 20th century American city. Pete Hamill, in the book Why Sinatra Matters, page 94. In the beginning, Sinatra was merely a teen idol, the heartthrob of teenage girls. Twice he tried to enlist as a soldier in World War II, but was rejected each time because of a punctured eardrum. As the other young men went off to boot camp or basic training, there were a lot of lonely women left in the land. Sinatra was every girl's boyfriend singing of his loneliness. In the music, he professed a corrosive emptiness, an almost grieving personal unhappiness. The risk attached to his kind of singing was that it promised authenticity of emotion instead of its blithe dismissal. His singing demanded to be felt, not admired. It always revealed more than it concealed. Pete Hamill, in the book Why Sinatra Matters, page 130. When the soldiers came home from World War II, Sinatra's career fell flat. One thing is certain. For many of those who came back from World War II, the music of Frank Sinatra was no consolation for their losses. Some had lost friends. Some had lost wives and lovers. All had lost portions of their youth. More important to the Sinatra career, the girls started marrying the men who came home. Bobby socks vanished from many closets. The girls who wore them had no need anymore for imaginary lovers. They had husbands. Nothing is more embarrassing to grown-ups than the passions of adolescence, and for many, Frank Sinatra was the passion. Pete Hamill, in the book Why Sinatra Matters, page 133 to 134. Sinatra became Sinatra when his riddle arrived.
Sinatra started out with far more female than male fans. He ended up with more male fans. This happens to very few pop singers. Pete Hamill in the book Why Sinatra Matters, page 127. Sinatra's riddle had a name. Nelson. What Paul McCartney was to John Lennon, Nelson Riddle was to Frank Sinatra. The first product of the Nelson Riddle-Frank Sinatra partnership leaped out of the radio with a beaming smile on April 30th, 1953. I've Got the World on a String became a runaway hit. Lightness shines as the primary ingredient of the Riddle style. Riddle always manages to make everything sound light. That way, the weightiest ballad doesn't become overly sentimental and insincere. Will Friedwald. I love how Riddle used Ravel's approach to personality. Said Quincy Jones, who has written arrangements for everyone from Count Basie and Ray Charles to Michael Jackson. Nelson was smart because he put the electricity up above Frank. He put it way upstairs and gave Frank the room downstairs for his voice to shine, rather than building big lush parts that were in the same register as his voice. Paul, if you're listening, I'd like to suggest that when you were young, you weren't really admiring the dark vocal voice of Frank Sinatra as much as you were admiring the light, musical voice of Nelson Riddle. Riddle put the electricity up above Frank, just like you put the sparkle above John. If I'm right about you being affected by the arrangements of Nelson Riddle, please let me know. And please know that we miss John almost as much as you do. Roy H. Williams How to Sell Upscale Products and Services is a new one-hour presentation by the Wizard of Ads partners. Loaded with audio, video, and print examples from across a wide spectrum of business categories, audiences are saying, what? That was an hour? It felt like 15 minutes. Best of all, these attendees are leaving with a clear understanding of how to cause people to happily pay you more for a product or service that is sold for less by your competitors. Can you put a group of interested business people into a room? There's a good chance that a Wizard of Ads partner will be available to come and make this presentation for only the price of travel expenses. The audience will be impressed. Questions will be answered. Business will increase all around. You'll be a hero. To contact available Wizard of Ads partners, just click the image of Lennon and McCartney at the top of today's Monday Morning Memo. You'll find today's memo, The Sinatra Riddle, in the archives at mondaymorningmemo.com. It's July 7th, 2014. And Monday Morning Radio's Dean Rothbart took an extended July 4th trip to his favorite fishing hole. For those of you who need your weekly fix, Rothbart suggests you revisit his July 2012 interview with Wizard Academy adjunct faculty member and Procter & Gamble marketing legend Mark Huffman. Mark, who's been at P&G for three decades, talks about why the big idea trumps data-driven marketing. It's a fascinating interview that provides listeners a glimpse of the insights that Mark shares with those lucky enough to attend his sellout courses at the Academy. To hear Mark Huffman's interview and the other previous programs, visit mondaymorningradio.com.